This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, that was probably the best you're going to hear tonight right there. I, I take no pressure because it's all the Lord's work, right? Right? Because uh, if the Lord's not doing this, then we're laboring in vain, right? So uh, I am honored and excited to be here today. Um, I got to tell you, I'm loving evening, Sunday evening church. There's like, this is really awesome. It's the first Sunday thing I've ever done at night. I was like, what do I do on Sunday morning? Because I was, I was like birthed on the pew of church, right? So I've been in church my entire life. And back in the day, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then any other time. Anybody come from that background at all? A couple of? Okay. So when they, uh, when they said, yeah, we're doing 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings, I'm like, well, what do I do Sunday morning? They're like, sleep in. Sleep in on us. I'm like, I love it. And they said, you can also go up and watch the sunrise up at Brighton, that area. So I drove Pastor Jason's truck up to Brighton and watched, had coffee and had watched the sunrise. And I still had time for a nap. This is the greatest thing in the world. I'm telling you. So, but it's a, it is an honor to be with you. I'm excited. And it's an honor to be with Pastors Jason and Candace. I do bring greetings from my wife. And uh, she desperately wanted to be here. It's not COVID, so you can, we can be close and I can talk to you. Um, but uh, she's feeling uh, a little under the weather. But uh, pastors uh, Jason and Candace and their family, were, you just, I, I don't know if I can have enough time to tell you the impact they made at Radiant Life Church. Pastor, pastor uh, Candace was over our children's ministry. She was a children's ministry director. And man, she brought some structure that we desperately needed. Uh, she brought organization. She brought heart. She brought curriculum. She brought ideas. It was just awesome. We're like, yes, you know. And then uh, I kind of now call Pastor Jason Pastor Slash. He doesn't know this because he started out as worship, right? And then it's like, okay, he's a, you're a worship guy. All right, now you're you're our worship pastor, and then associate pastor. And then slash, slash, you know, anything that we needed done, technology, Pastor Jason, yeah, I can do that. That's all right. Okay. A new idea, Pastor Jason, yeah, I can take care of that. And so their impact, uh, tremendous. And you guys, if I could just say this, you are so blessed to have this, this couple, this family pastor you. They are awesome, awesome. They're the real deal. And I know that you know that they're authentic, they're real, transparency. I love Pastor Jason. When he preaches, we love, I tell you, every time he comes back, you know, our, our people just want to keep him, I'm telling you. Uh, and so we hope that it's kind of like home coming when you guys come back. That's what we want. But um, I'm really proud. Can I just say this? I'm really proud. Sorry. Being a pastor and all of us have really struggled over the last year and a half. Let's just be honest, right? Yeah. It's this thing, the COVID thing has just blown us all kind of to pieces. And, I, and I've been on phone calls and I've been in meetings where pastors are just, they're tapping out. And talking with Pastor Jason and our phone calls, I hear no resignation. I've never heard it. It's like we are 
in this thing. God has called us. There's a work to be done. There's people that need help and need saved, need delivered, need Jesus. And I just want to say publicly thank you. Thank you for answering the call. Staying faithful. Candace, staying true. Not letting your hand come off that plow and not looking back. And I just honor you both. Amen. Okay, I'm here to preach. Ah! All right. Father, we thank you now as we turn our attention to your word. God, I pray you are, you are the bread of life. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to feed us. You're going to bring forth what's on your heart, God, to all of us. I don't know how you do that. It's awesome to me. By your spirit, you can minister to all of us differently at the same time. It's awesome. So my trust is in your ability, not mine. I yield myself to you. I ask that you would just use me today to speak your heart to your people, courageous people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm ready to get going. We're going to go fast and furious. Is that okay? Pastor Jason said that I have about an hour and a half to two hours. Do I have, have, okay, hour and a half, anybody two, two, two hours, okay. You can open your Bibles to any book of the Bible and we're going to start there, okay, wherever you want to know. Open your Bibles to, uh, or your mobile device to the book of Judges. The book of Judges is where we're going to be today. Um, I feel like, I feel like the Lord by his spirit is going to ask us all a question tonight. And so I just want to kind of lay, do what Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. I want to start with where we're going to end tonight. I believe the Lord has a question that we're going to ask and we're going to, the question is going to be driven by what is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? And I believe all of us will have an answer that we will need to really contemplate. And I want to have just a few moments at the end for us to just kind of come before God and say, what are you saying, Lord? So that's where we're going tonight, okay? And I'm going to give some, give some background. We're going to tell a great story uh, through the Bible and let the Bible lead us and pull out some treasures and some things that I think will encourage us along the way. Um, we're going to be in the book of Judges. Judges is a very interesting book. Um, Judges is a book that's really on repeat. It's on a cycle. Um, you look at the book of Judges, and it's, it's God's people, the people of, uh, of Israel, the nation of Israel. It's, it's new, right? They'd come out of the wilderness. Now they're into the promised land. They're supposed to take over the promised land. And to do that, God has given them assignments, and all they have to do is obey. How easy is that? Just obey. How easy it just to obey. <laughs> it's not so easy, is it? How many of us struggle at times with just obeying God? You know what's right. I mean, Paul the Apostle said it, right? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. So if Paul, the Apostle Paul struggled with this, we're certainly going to struggle with this, right? All right, so we, we're in good company there. But here is this nation. They've been given an assignment, take the promised land. 
And what they do is they go into this cycle of repeating the same thing over and over and over. And that cycle looks like this. Their leader dies. And when the leader comes, goes off the scene, then they begin to wander in their faith. They begin to forget about God. They begin to come up with ideas that are not godly, and that leads them into false worship, and they enter into worshiping other gods. And then when God is ignored and pushed away, I'm, I, am, I am talking about our culture today, by the way. There's a, there's a double thought going on here. When the culture, when the nation of Israel pushed God out of their culture, out of their out of their families, out of, out of their uh, government, out of their families, just began to put, we, we've got it, we got it. There's a, there's, we've got this. Then God said, okay. And he handed them over to their enemies and they went into a time where they were enslaved. They were taken out. They were, they were, uh, they were enslaved. They were, they were put into uh, impossible situations until the people began to cry out to God again. God, remember us. Remember us. And what did God do? He began to up, he would raise up a prophet, raise up a, a judge, raise up a deliverer, and they would return to worshiping God. Only to watch the same thing happen. When that one, that leader moved off, died, passed away, they forgot about God, and they began to worship other idols. Handed over to their enemies. They cry out to God to return back to God and do it over and over and over. This is the cycle of the book of Judges. It's, a, it's, it's just it's like unbelievable. So if you look, I'm going to go quickly here. Chapter 1, the assignment to, uh, for them to uh, take over the land of Canaan. You look at chapter 2, they disobey God. Now there's a phrase and there's something here that's verse uh, 11 of chapter 2 that I want us to highlight. It says this, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of God. When you see a nation, a culture, a people doing evil in the sight of God and calling that evil good, beware. And I believe we can see that and this is not a political statement whatsoever. This has nothing to do with politics. I'm just talking about rejecting God, okay? God views it as they are doing evil in his sight. And so in chapter 3, verse 7, God raised up Othiniel. That's Caleb's younger brother. And they did evil in the sight of God. He raised up Ehud. And then Shamgar did evil in the sight of God. They, he raised up Deborah. Because the guys weren't getting the job done, ladies, right? So let's get a lady in here. Let's get the judge, you know? Let's bring in Deborah. By the sixth, sixth chapter, the same cycle has happened five times. And that's where we're going to parachute in tonight, into chapter six, seven, and eight. All right? We're just going to look at that. How many, I need you to lift up your hands if, to help me. How many are you familiar with the story of Gideon in the Bible? So I just kind of get a read here. Okay, good. All right. If you're not familiar, I'm going to give you enough information that you're going to be able to understand the story of Gideon. Uh, Gideon was the next leader God raised up. The cycle is continuing. Look at verse, uh, uh, verse 1 in chapter 6. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian, there's the enemy, for seven years. For seven years. And you, then you can look at the verses two through five, and you can see what, what happens there, but I want to highlight verse six. And it says, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So there you see the cycle in chapter six, right? right. They did evil, verse one, in the sight of the Lord, and now you're just four verse, five verses later, and you see that the Midianites have impoverished them, and they're crying out to God. Then what happens? In verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now him is Gideon. Gideon. And the angel of the Lord said this, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Man, who wouldn't love to hear God say that to, to you? Oh, I'm telling you. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Watch what Gideon's response is. Gideon's response isn't like, cool. You know, go run and get a brother and say, you know what the Lord just told me? No, his response was asking two questions. Number one, he says, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles and the signs and the wonders we've been told about? Okay, Lord, the Lord's with me. Well, where have you been? Where, where have you been, God? Have you not seen the suffering? You can really hear and can I just tell you my personal opinion? I try to be very careful not giving personal opinions, but this is my personal opinion. I think Gideon has received a real bad rap of being kind of a fearful, timid little guy. I don't believe that. Not when you really dig into the story. I mean, listen, he's got the angel of the Lord saying, you mighty man. And here he is not afraid to ask a question. Okay? Angel of the Lord, you say you're with me? And I'm a mighty man of valor. Where have you been? Hello? That's not some weak, spineless guy. I'm sorry. I'm not buying into that. Now, I was raised kind of on that theology that he was a fearful and he had all these fear problems and phobias. I don't believe that at all. Because of the declaration, number one, the angel of the Lord said, hey, mighty man of valor. In other words, I know we're going to have a good conversation here. Are you with me tonight? Okay, we're just in our setup. We're just kind of starting to get the engine going here. Watch God's response to the two questions. Verse 13, two questions. Why has all this happened? And where are all your signs, wonders, and miracles? Watch verse 14. God's response is, oh, let me tell you. Let me explain to you. No, he says this. Go in this might of yours because I've sent you and you shall save Israel. Now, does, any, does that fly into anybody's like, really? Lord, I'm asking you where you've been and where are your signs and your wonders and your miracles, and you're going to respond by saying, go in this might of yours. In other words, he had totally ignored Gideon's questions. Have you ever been in a conversation and someone, you ask someone a question and they they divert it, they, they move away from it because it's like a tough question or whatever. They don't want to answer it, so they move in a different direction. Now, you can, now we can talk about politics, right? They don't want to answer something, they're going to move into whatever they want, right? They're going to ignore the questions, right? It's almost like what God's done to Gideon. But has he? Did God actually ignore Gideon's questions? 
Let me just put this at your feet for consideration. He says three statements back to him to his two questions. Number one, go in this might of yours. Now, this is the second time he's addressed Gideon, might and valor. Hey, Gideon, open your eyes. I'm telling you, if you want a sign, right here it is. You're looking for a sign, go in the might. Go in the valor. You already have it. Couldn't even see it. Listen, some of you, some of you have gifts, talents, abilities, callings, desires for the things of God, and you're viewing yourself like Gideon. God can't use me. God's saying to you, oh, I know who you are. And I know what I've put in your life. Stop looking at your ability. Watch what I'm going to do with you. You want a sign? Mighty man of valor. Go in this might. There's a sign. How about you want to see it like a wonder? Like, what? What about the statement? Because I've sent you. Just think about that statement. Think about God saying, I have sent you. In other words, I am fully trusting you with my kingdom plan. Come on. Is that not overwhelming? That God's going to like trust you and me? Can we just say we're all really kind of close to being a mess in life? (laughs) One decision from blowing everything up in our lives, right? And God's saying, I'm going to fully trust you with it. I'm going to hand the football off to you and you're going to run and you're going to score TD. What? That's not a wonder. I don't know what is a wonder, right? How about a miracle? You want to see a miracle? What God's response is? You shall save Israel. What? God, where are your signs? Where have you been? All right, go in this mind of yours. You're going to save Israel. That's a miracle in itself right there. So God, in my opinion, just laying it at your feet, answered his two questions. Did not ignore him. I don't know if Gideon caught it right away, but that's okay. I don't think you and I would have caught it, right? All right. So verses 15 through 25. Okay, that's 10 verses there. You can look at it and you can see that, you see that um, Gideon has this amazing conversation with the angel of the Lord. He says, okay, if I found favor in your sight, okay, if I found favor in your sight, would you show me a sign? Okay, show me a sign here. I, 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 listen, angel of the Lord didn't buckle his knees at that at all, did he? He's like, okay, yeah, sure. Watch what he did. He didn't go, okay. Perform for me, angel. What did Gideon do? Stay right here. I want to go and I want to prepare an offering. He did not wait for a sign from the angel. He went and prepared an offering. Prepared a sacrifice of meat, broth, and bread and brought it back to the angel. I think that's amazing to me. The generosity, once again, this is why I don't believe that Gideon was some spineless guy. I think he had character. I think he was a man of integrity. In other words, I get how, I get how the world works. 
You don't get anything for nothing, so I'm going to first invest. I'm going to give of myself. Pastor Jason, I really need you to give me something. You know, I just got to get something. Give me something. Give me a word. What are you doing to invest into the work of the, uh, work of the Lord? What, and I'm not talking money here, guys. It can be if that's what the Lord talks to you about. But what I'm saying is, what are we doing to invest ourselves into? It's called a ROI in business, right? What is that return on investment? And I believe Gideon understood the principle of ROI. I give first before I receive. I think, I think, and I'm talking more Dallas now. <laughs> Dallas is very materialistic. All of the Metroplex is driven by materialism. I would have to say it's like the golden calf. What do you drive? What, what, what subdivision do you live in? It's all this, let me see what bag you, you're, you're carrying, ladies. It's so materialistic. It just makes me sick. It's just nauseating. And there's this, there's this thing that's happening where we're elevating those, those, all those things that we want without first investing into what really matters in the kingdom of God. Okay, I got to keep going, okay? Because we're going somewhere really, 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 really important, okay? So then he's asking this, how can I save Israel? How can I that? Because I, I come from the weakest clan and I'm the least of that clan. In other words, I'm the weakest of the weakest. The clan, the tribes, there's 12 tribes of Israel. And Gideon was under the tribe of Manasseh. And so Manasseh had all these families, clans. And he was from the Abyssalite clan. And he was the least of them. Okay? So that's what he's saying. How can I save when I'm from the least clan of the, of the tribe of Manasseh? I'm the weakest of the weakest. I, uh, this is impossible, right? Watch what God's response is. But I'm with you. Did you forget that? We covered that already twice, by the way. And he has to say it the third time. Remember, I'm trying to get something into your head here. I'm with you. I've initiated the conversation in the first place. Did you forget that? You haven't called out to me and say, I want to be the Savior. Send me, Lord. You, you're threshing wheat in a wine press. Yeah. And God initiated. And now it's the third time he's telling Gideon, I'm with you. It doesn't matter if you're the weakest. Because when I'm with you, you're the baddest dude around. Right? <laughs> right? When the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, no one can take you out. Right? I mean, that's it. Right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah you're going to defeat the Midianites. It's crazy. I love this. Now watch. He brings this offering. Meat, the meat of the goat, the broth, and the bread. And he brings it to the angel of the Lord. That means the angel of the Lord just hung out for a while. Took some time to prepare that offering. Now watch what happens here. It's amazing. He brings it, and he has it in some kind of containers or something so the broth doesn't spill. And he brings it but he does not know how to present the offering. The reason why he doesn't, this is kind of fast forwarding, but the reason why he doesn't know how to present the offering 
is because the Bizarites are leading in the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth, false gods. So he hasn't seen how you offer your offerings and sacrifices to God. So he brings it. He doesn't know what to do with it. And what does the angel? I got you. Let me, let me teach you how you bring an offering to God. And so he says, place this one here, place it on the rock, position it over here, boom. Now take the broth, pour it over the sacrifice, right? Pour it all over it, yeah. And then the angel of the Lord takes his staff and touches the offering. And it says, fire came out of the rock and consumed everything. Nothing left. Then what happened? It says the angel of the Lord disappeared. I love this part of the story. But before I get there, I have to identify, we're gonna, I'm gonna cover four altars in this story. We've just heard the first altar. I like to call it, this is the altar of submission. He did not know how, and so he had to submit to being shown how you worship and bring an offering to God. And God's very specific about what that looks like. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal? I don't know. I'm not God. And he kind of created everything, so if it's a big deal to him, it's a big deal to him, right? It's his way. And so what the question is is this. Gideon, are you going to submit to this process? The first altar is where a lot of folks trip and fall. My father-in-law is a uh, deep theologian, Dr. Vernon Hedge. He, I love it. I've stolen this statement. Submission is this, and you can write it down if you'd like. I will my will to will his will. I will my will to will his will. That's submission. Yeah, but I don't like that. I will my will to will his will. Yeah, but that's not my family history. That's not that, you know, where I came from. I will my will to will his will. Yeah, but, you know, the, our political thing and our bent over here, I will my will to will his will. It's submission. It's the first altar that we're all going to deal with right. is submitting our will, all right, to God's way. Okay. The angel disappears. What happens next? Gideon freaks out. I mean, full-on panic attack, right? Because he understands, he knows that if you see God face-to-face, -face, you die. You die. It's over. And so when the angel of the Lord, by the way, he never knew it was an angel. It's really a theophany, if you want to know the theological term. A physical manifestation of God. That's what a theophany is, okay? A physical manifestation of God. So he didn't know that. So in other words, the angel of the Lord looked just like you and me. Flesh and blood. Just, we're having a conversation. And so this guy's like, you mighty man of valor. God's with you and you're going to save Israel. Okay, pal, you know. <laughs> but somewhere in there he's like, okay, if this is real, let me go give it an offering brings it to him, 
The angel tells him, uh, do it this way. Fire comes up, consumes, angel disappears. When the angel disappeared, that's when he knew he was talking to God face to face. Not until that moment. And he also know, knows, knew at that time, I'm a dead man. It's over. I'm a dead man. Verse 23. The Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar, second altar, there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. The second altar, I like to call it this way, salvation. We submit first at the first altar that leads us to the second altar and that's salvation. He was, his life was spared. Submission, I submit my will to Jesus. Next altar, will you save me? Because left unto myself, I'm a dead man. Follow me tonight? Yeah. Is this okay? Yeah. We, am, I go, am I going too fast or are we okay? Okay, yeah, okay. Watch this. Did you catch what happened? Something almost imperceivable just took place in verse 24. Matter of fact, I have preached on Gideon several times. I never caught this until I did this study again. The angel Lord's having a conversation. Hey, Pastor Jason, how you doing? You mighty man of valor. No, no, no. Physical conversation, right? Jason goes, brings the offering. I show. I'm the angel Lord. He's Gideon. So Gideon, right? We're doing this deal. And then the fire comes up, right? And then I disappear. Gideon, oh no, I'm a dead man. Watch the next verse. So awesome. Then the Lord said. Up till this time, I didn't highlight it, I should have. The Lord said to him, up to this time, catch this, please. Up to this time, it's been a physical contact, a physical conversation. From this moment on, he's never going to see the angel of the Lord again. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Gideon had to be taught in an exponential way, like Fast forward, right? You're going to be, you're going to go, you're going to get like a master's degree in a month. Angel of the Lord disappeared so that God would teach him. Now listen with your ear what I'm saying. Because if he doesn't catch it here, he'll never get the game plan for the battle. And I believe because he submitted to the first two altars, God was saying he's ready to go now. If there's a submitted heart and one who has surrendered to the salvation of Christ, I, God, get ready. God's going to use you in a big way. Isn't that awesome? I found that so encouraging to me. We're not to walk by faith. I'll give you the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What is walking by faith? What is faith? All right, I'm glad you asked that question. Romans 10, 17 defines it. So then faith comes by hearing. and hearing. 
by the word of God. Gideon heard the word of God. And faith came into him. Feel it kind of, the train start kind of, woo, woo, here we go. This is going to be awesome. Now, the very next verse, verse 25. Now, it came to pass, what? The same night that the Lord said to him. This is the second time God spoke to him in the day. Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal. Third altar we're dealing with. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image, that's Asheroth, right? That is beside it. That's the third altar. What is the third altar? Sanctification. Submission. Salvation. Sanctification. Getting the old out. Getting the old man out. How many of you are tired of dealing with the stuff over and over for years upon years and you just can't get rid of the hang-up. You just can't get rid of the pain. You can't get rid of the, the stuff that kind of just gets you in the night. Fear and panic attacks and anxiety and all sorts of stuff. It's just It's amazing. The only way that happens, in your, we are, and I'm saying us, the only way we are ever set free is submission, salvation, and being willing to be sanctified. Get rid of of the Baals and the Asherahs, those things that you worship above God. Are you ready for the fourth altar? Tear down the altar of Baal that your father's, verse 25, has. Did you catch that? There's so much more stuff here. I gotta, I, I'm, I'm kind of going light here. There's so much more stuff. The second bowl. Did you catch that? The second bowl. Why not the first bowl? That's a message all into itself. So Pastor Jason, he can preach that one. I'll send you my notes. It's really good. <laughs> uh, tear down the end of 25. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. It was in his family. It's in your family. It's something that is common to you. Something that you know. Something that your family has dealt with. Now, again, I'm... I'm going I'm I'm to let the angel of the church, that's what Revelation says, the angel of the church is the pastor of the church, set the doctrine of the church. This is what I teach Radiant Life Church. I do not see scriptural proof in text form for this, this idea that the sins of your grandpappy grandmommy, whatever, is passed on to you. I, I don't see it. I know there's a scripture, and you all know, probably know the scripture, and I, I can't marinate too long on this, but I will say this. All sin came through one, Adam. That's, true. That's the entrance of sin in the world. So give your parent, grandparents a break. Yeah. Yeah. But just like there is personality traits and physical traits within our families. Like I have three children, going to be a grandparent in December, first time. Whoop, whoop. Yep. Having a grandbaby boy. He's going to be just like his grandfather. Uh, um, they're all hoping not. <laughs> uh, my daughter um, is great with child. 
But uh, I have two sons, um, Josiah and Caleb, and Caleb is my mini-me. Can you guess who the mini-me in the Chatham family is? Which, which one? Anybody want to jump out there? The one that looks like Jason, Pastor Jason, right? We all have those traits that we pass on. Strongholds of the enemy are much like that. It's familiar to the family. But everybody here has a choice before God to receive that as a stronghold or be delivered from it. I am not held because of my grandfather back from things to overcoming. He has overcome everything. So why should I be penalized and walk with a limp because of 16 generations ago in my family? That's ridiculous. It's not theologically correct. You want to blame anybody? Adam and Eve. I have this fantasy in my, my life when I get to heaven, Pastor Jason. Can't wait to see Jesus. Can't wait to see David. But I want to go right up to Adam and punch him in the throat. <laughs> Say, thanks a lot. <laughs> no, sorry, I should. Let's move on. Some of you are like, yeah, I'll be right there. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord, your God. Tear down Baal. Asheroth, watch, and then build an altar to the Lord. How did he know how to build an altar? He was taught by the angel of the Lord when he brought the goat, broth, and the bread. That's how he knew. That's how all he had to do was hear, and now he could do it. It's powerful. Watch, watch, listen to the instruction. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. How did he know about the arrangement? Because the first altar taught him that, right? Take the second bowl, there's a second bowl again, and offer a burnt sacrificing with the wood and the image which you shall cut. The fourth is, uh, altar is obedience, if you're taking notes. Obedience. That's the altar of obedience. Judges 27, verses, uh, I'm sorry, verses 27 through 32, it goes into great detail of how Gideon followed the obedience of God's instruction. Now we're into verse 33. Soon as he passed, successfully passed, the four altars, watch, the very next verse. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, and probably the mosquito bites, the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of, it's getting real. It just got real. That's what my Bible says. What is your, does your Bible say Jezreel? Oh, my Bible says it just got real. Okay. So all of a sudden, he's got this amazing, amazing, he's, he's overcome. And, and been successful going through four altars. And all of a sudden, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the people of the east gather. We know later it's 135,000 soldiers, plus chariots, plus camels, horses, donkeys, tents. You can imagine the sight. 
and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, which is, which is the shofar, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. Who are the Abyssalites? His family. Did you catch that? So listen, he passed the four altars, submission, salvation, sanctification, obedience. He's been on the mountaintop. Man, God is so good. And the enemy gathers for attack. How many can ever witness here tonight? You have done something. You've, I don't know, quiet time, church, whatever it is, whatever it may be. And it's like you're on a spiritual high. Like you and God are so close, so amazing. It just feel God. He's talking to you. It's, it's like worship tonight. That last song, by the way, I hadn't heard that. That was awesome. Just awesome. The name above all names. Worthy. Oh, I love that. And we just sang it over and over. And you just can feel the atmosphere. God loves when we worship together in unity. There's power in unity. That's why we sing one song in one key at one time. Well, most of the time, yeah. <laughs> and the devil hates it because it's calling us into unity. By the way, it's a perfect reflection of the Trinity when we worship. So when God hears and sees our worship, he hears and sees himself. It's like, yeah, you're part of me and I'm part of you. We're one. That's the power of worship. So we have this mountaintop. You have this mountaintop experience. What's after a mountaintop? The valley. What's in the valley? The enemy. What's the enemy want to do? Attack, right? What does God do? Can you, okay, still there. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Another translation says, clothed Gideon. Clothed him. Did you? I, I love this part. God gave him something that Gideon had never possessed until this moment. The enemy is, oh man, they're right there. You can hear them. It's deafening. It's overwhelming. They're gathering. It's in the valley. But the spirit of the Lord clothed him. I believe he clothed him with authority. Why do I believe that? Because of what the scripture says next. It says this. Where is it at? Then he blew the shofar, the trumpet. And what happened? His family gathered behind him. He's the least of the least, the weakest of the weakest. Before the clothing of authority, they would have said, who's this? What, who are you? David, we don't even consider you a, ch a chance to be the king. You're, you're the little boy out there. See, God loves the least of the least, the weakest of the weakest. He like specializes in that. So if you feel weak and you feel the least, Get ready because God loves to use the weak and the least. He loves it. You feel like, man, I've, I, I've done so much junk in my life. God can never use me. Oh, oh, man, you have no clue what God can do with you. That's right. 
Because all he has to do is just clothe you with himself. And you'll grab a trumpet that you've never blown in your life and call forth your family members and they're going to get behind you. Man, I'll tell you, I've been alone. I've been betrayed. I've been stabbed in the back. Bring tears to your eyes how much it hurts. But man, I, I have felt the gathering of people behind me. Ooh, that feels good. When you know someone really has your back. Someone told me the other day, I was meeting with him, I'm mentoring him, and he said, Pastor, I got your back. I loved his heart. I said, please don't tell me that. I can't tell you how many people have told me, got your back. When the chips are down, you can count on me. Tell you what I want. Don't tell me. Show me. Because we'll live long enough, the chips are going to be down, and people are going to be running for cover, and I will be exposed, and then I'm going to say, where are you at? So don't tell me. Tired of people telling me. Show me. Here is Gideon, and they're standing behind him. Oh, that's not it. That's not all, all of it, right? Watch. And then the Abyssalites, after blowing the trumpet, the Abyssalites gathered, and then he sent emissaries out to the rest of the tribes, over to Naphtali, over to Manasseh, send them out to the tribes, and guess what happens? They come, and the scripture says, they stand behind him. Not with him, behind him. That's why I believe God clothed them in authority. They saw him one way before, and now they see him in a total different way. And only God can do that. We cannot manufacture that. By the way, you can't short-circuit the process. Pastor Jason, I want to preach. <laughs> I hope he tells you, the toilets are over there. <laughs> Grab a brush. Because that's the beginning qualification to stand behind the pulpit. Yeah. I won't go any further than that on that one. <laughs> they gathered behind him. Are, you, are, you, are we okay? Yeah. Verse 36. They counted, there's 32,000 soldiers in Israel. Gideon goes, okay, and most of us know this part of the story, right, about the fleece, laying out the fleece, you know, dew on the fleece, and it's dry on the ground, and then it does it the next day in reverse, right, that it's dew only on the ground and not on the fleece. And so he's saying, God, if you're really saying this, if you're really in this, I, I believe, but my faith's a little struggling. Notice God doesn't have a hard time with that. Don't you just love the, the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness, the fruit of God's spirit coming? Just no problem. If you need another sign, I'll give it to you. I'm okay with that. doesn't shake his, God's authority at all. All right, Judges 7. It moves right. The story doesn't end at the chapter. It keeps on going, right? Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, that's Gideon. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. So we're really getting descriptive. They're now moving to the battlefront, right? They're going towards the battle. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. Are you serious, God? Did you count the Midianites and the Amalekites? 135,000. We got 32,000. 
How in the world could that be too many? I'm surprised they actually went to battle with 32,000. God says, they're too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. In other words, if they defeated 135,000 warriors, 32,000 of them defeated them, they would have so much arrogance and pride that they think they won the victory. Can you believe that? Just if anybody's in math, like teacher in math or anything, that makes no sense on just a mathematical plane. But it tells you the condition of the nation of Israel. When you worship false gods, pride and arrogance is the first thing that rises up. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. So God knew he's reading their hearts. Verse three, now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the soldiers' people returned and only 10,000 remained. Thanks a lot, God. <laughs> That's what I'd be saying if I'm Gideon. You just took out 22,000. Now we're down to 10,000. Why would God do that? Well, we said, well, because of the arrogance and the pride. Yes, but there's another reason. Because of biblical law. Deuteronomy 20 gives us the principles of governing warfare. Now watch the similarities. I'm going to read this quick because so, I want to land here pretty quick. This is Deuteronomy 20, 1 through 8. This is God now giving the nation of Israel the governing, this is how you're going to go into battle. He says this, when you go out to battle against your enemies, see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Ooh, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Verse two, so it shall be, still God speaking, when you are on the verge of battle, that's where Gideon and the 32,000 are at, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God it is uh, your Lord, your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Hallelujah. Man, I'm telling you, that should fire everybody up, right? Yeah. Talking about biblical law here. Verse five, then the officers. So you had the priest make this awesome declaration on behalf of God. Now the officers shall speak to the people saying, what man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it, his home. Verse six, also what man is there who has planted a vineyard, started a business and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. Verse seven, and what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go, return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man marry her. 
continues. Verse 8. The officers shall speak further to the people. Again, they're right at the verge of battle. And say, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest his heart of his brethren faint like his. So when God said, it's too many. He says, this is what we're going to do. Because I've already established it in biblical law in Deuteronomy. If there are those who are faint-hearted, fearful, they are given the permission to leave. If they have fear, if they're scared, and no recourse. I want you to hang on to that thought. Can I ask you to do this? I want to drop a thread right there. And I want us to hold on to that until the end. Okay, will you do that? They were given permission to leave the battle. This is super important because I believe God has a word for the church, for courageous, for all of us tonight. The priest declares, don't be afraid. God is with you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be, let it be faint. Don't tremble. Don't be terrified. God's going to go with you. God's going to fight with you. God's going to save you. The officers are going to say, hey, if you got house vineyards, if you got businesses, you can go. It's okay to go. And if you're faint-hearted and fearful, you can go. Even though they heard the declaration of the priest that God is going to win the battle. If that wasn't enough to strengthen their heart and fear was overriding the word of the Lord, God says, okay, you can go. It's amazing to me. I believe this, the 22,000, all their eyes could see is the size and power of the enemy in the valley. All their ears could hear was the sound of the swords, the sound of their, their, their chariots being wrestled and assembled for battle, and it shook them to their core. I think it was a terrorizing fear, like COVID. A terrorizing fear has not come upon America, has not come upon Salt Lake City, has come upon the globe. And the enemy is laying in the valley. And if you're afraid, it's okay, you can go. You, you with me? Judges chapter 7, verse 3. Now therefore proclaim, he's telling Gideon, in the hearing of the people, say, whoever is fearful and afraid. Sounds just like Deuteronomy, doesn't it? Let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead, and 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remain. Gideon is the priest and the officer. So we know he had to have said the declarations of God. God's going to save you. God's with us. God's, ah, right? But according to Deuteronomy 20, if you're fearful, you can go. And 22,000 took the ticket out. 
I wrote this down. They were given legal right to leave. Verse four, but the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. <laughs> God, you're a little crazy. That's all I want to say. <laughs> Bring them down to the spring and I will test them. Who loves the testing of God? Anybody? Come on, two hands up. Oh, God, test me. No. No. I never pray for patience. I did that one time early in my life. Never again. Lord, teach me your mercy. No. Lord, I need to be more loving. No, nope. I just say, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus. And you, you help me figure that out. It's like probably the chicken way out, but that's how I pray. Because <laughs> I've got to get real specific on something. God's gonna like, oh, I'm going to bring a test. Because that's what God loves to do. He loves to bring a test. Just ask Abraham. So what's he do? He brings him down to the water. He's got 10,000. Let's bring him down to the water, the creek. And I'm going to test them. And I'm going to tell you which ones are going to go with you and which ones are not. How did he do that? I'm going to call them this. I'm going to have two names for them. There's going, to be the, there's going to be the dog lappers and the face planters. So you can remember it. So the Bible says the face planters got down. Oh, oh, knee, sur knee surgery on the right knee. They got down on their knees and they put their face in the water. Now, if you're in that position, what do you have to let go of? Your shield and your sword. And you have to do this to get water. In other words, they're so concerned with the things that matter to them, their needs being met, so consumed about what they're dealing with that all they can do is, I'm going to get mine and this is what's going to feel good to me. Versus... The dog lappers. And they drink water like this. They still have their shield ready to go. Their sword still in the sheath right here. Because if anything happens, all they have to do is stand. And God says... I'll take the 300. I'll take the 300 dog lappers who didn't put down. Listen to me. God, I pray right now in the name of you. Hear this in the spirit when I'm trying to communicate. I'm, not, I'm purposely not being overly clear. God tested the people and those who let go of the sword and the shield were not used to confront the enemy. Three hundred left. And God said, now I've got my victory. Because I have three hundred that are vigilant. Passing the test doesn't matter what. I got your back. I'm in. 
no matter what. 9,700 laid down their swords and laid down their shields. Derek Prince said this, and I think it's the best way, this quote. It's easy, even normal, to bury our faces in the business of daily living, to be absorbed in all the practical needs that confront us every day, to forget that we are in a spiritual conflict with unseen forces of darkness who are continually watching for an opportunity to catch us unprepared. The difference between the two is one is saying, I'm going to stay prepared no matter what. And the other, uh, I've got too much going on. I played golf on Friday. been forever since I played golf. And uh, a buddy of mine, and then two singles, two guys, and they didn't know each other. We didn't know them. And if you play golf, usually we're on the second or third, fourth hole. What do you do for a living? That question always comes up. What do you do for a living, you know? And uh, so the questions came up. What do you do? Oh, I do insurance, and I, I'm retired, and okay. What do you do? I pastor Radiant Life Church in McKinney, Texas. Oh, really? Huh. Now, the New Yorker who's retired, I don't know if he knew any English words. <laughs> because... He is a, he, he's a, has a doctorate degree, degree in cussing. I mean, whole paragraphs, I think I could count like two or three English words in there. But it was like, oh, my word. And so when I, and I love these, I love saying, it. yeah, I'm a pastor, uh, Radiant Life Church in McKinney. I love to see the reactions. Oh, 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 excuse my French, you know. You know, all of a sudden they get all pious and oh my word. And my return is usually, no, that was perfect English. You know, there wasn't any French in that. The New York guy was like, well, that's a cool thing. I'm like, okay, I guess I've never heard. Pastoring a church is like, you know, put in any cuss word you like there, it'll fit. It's crazy. So the guy who's the insurance guy, the next hole, he goes, man, I'd love to hear uh, how COVID's affected your church. I said, well, the national average, the stats are 60% have not returned and 40% have returned. That's the stats nationwide. You got some outliers that are more and less. But it's 40% return to live service, 60% haven't. Yeah. Well, what about you? We're, we're right about 45, we've hit 50, we've hit 55, but that's, you know, we're, we're excited about that because of the national average. And he goes, well, my family and I, we're, we're part of the 60%. I didn't ask him, he just volunteered the information. Okay. And then he said, I just don't know how to come back. I don't know how to come back to church. Now, I gotta be honest being a pastor, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You get in your car, you drive, Siri can help you get there, and you walk in the front door. I mean, that's kind of how you go to church. But I heard something much deeper in there. He said, my family and I, we attended church every Sunday. And it was three hours. We went to church, and then 
We went to Sunday school class after, whatever church they, they went to. So it was three hours at church every Sunday. We gave, we served, we gave financially, we supported. We were, I mean, faithful. So I, but I just don't know how to do it. I just don't know how. He was really lost. And I, I mentioned this to Pastor Jason. We've got to kind of figure out this bridge. What happened is, there's been a test, folks. God has tested, used COVID to test the church. And we have been given in the beginning days of COVID legal right to leave the church. To stop coming. We're going to close it all down. So that we've been given a legal right to go. Then we begin to open churches back up, saying, let's go. And 22,000 have left. But 10,000 are wanting to come back. And God goes, but I'm going to purify my church. I'm going to test her now. To see who's going to be a face planter or a dog lapper. Now, why would God do that? Why would God, I believe, use this moment in our history? What is he doing? I believe this. The enemy is in the valley, has been gathering for years, and we never saw it because we were so busy doing church and not being the church. Especially in Dallas, where I come from. There's a lot of doing the church thing, but not much being the church. And God gave us time. COVID hit. He says, now I'm going to use this to purify and to test my bride. Because I'm going to take, listen to me, I I believe this with all my heart. I'm going to take the enemy out. But I'm not going to use the 22,000. I'm not going to use the 32,000. I'm going to use the 300 who passed the test. Are you okay? Let me, let me move this way. He's got 300. Interesting note here. Can I give you two scriptures? Because I, I want this, I, I always want scripture to, to prove what I'm saying. I don't want to just, by the way, here, listen to this and you just believe it. Listen to, listen to the language. Judges 7.3. Remember, therefore tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid, they may leave this mountain and go home. The 22,000 went back home. They, they left the battlefield altogether. They're not even present. They went back home to the mountains. Now watch. God tested the 9,700. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below them. The first 22,000 were sent back home. Out of the 10,000, 9,700 weren't sent home. They weren't released home. They were sent back to their tent. 
And the 300 took provisions. Where do they get the provisions? From the 9,700. They grabbed the torches. They grabbed whatever they had, probably all the weaponry they could figure out, right? They're probably loading everything up, you know? And now they walk out towards the battle. And Gideon's like, God. And God says, listen, Gideon, if you still need to be in the sign, go down in the middle of the night. He heard a dream. He heard the men talking. This dream has to be Gideon in the army of the Lord. And what did Gideon do when he heard that? He was strengthened by it, that the enemy is afraid. What? They don't know we have 300. <laughs> and they're afraid of us? Are you kidding me? And what did he do? He worshiped. He worshiped. Can I, can I be bold? If you don't like to worship, I want to encourage you to fall in love with worship. Worship is the key to your victory. Worship is the single most important key to victories. I believe, and we talked about this, worship is going to change in the body of Christ. It's due. Why do I believe that? Because of the story of Gideon. He worshiped. By the way, can someone tell me up to this point in the story what the battle plan is? What's the battle plan? The 32,000 surely didn't have a battle plan. The 22,000, the 9,700, the 300? They were going to battle without a plan. Pastor Jason, what's the vision of the church? Where are you taking us? I'm not sure. I don't know if I agree with it. I don't, I don't know. Do you really need to know all the details so that you can buy in? Or are you just going to say, Lord, you've assigned me to a courageous church. And I am going to be a dog lapper. And I'm grabbing my short sword and my shield. And whatever Jason hears from you, we're running. And we are going to be a courageous people. Because we have an enemy to take out. The choice is yours. 300 went forward with no battle plan. Incredible. Then he worships, comes back and says, hey, boys. I got the plan. Take three swords, take a musket rifle, <laughs> get some bombs. No. Here's the plan. We're going to take some clay pitchers and we're going to take some candles and we're going to blow a trumpet. <laughs> really? This is a great plan, Gideon. No. It's what God told me in worship. And I trust what God has said. Why does he trust? Because he has been taught by the angel of the Lord, by sight, that he's been trained to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. So 
through the four altars, he can trust when God says, I want you to grab a fire and I want you to blow a trumpet and I'm going to win the battle. By the way, no scripture says that anybody bucked the order, spoke against it, came against it. I don't know. That doesn't sound like that's a really good idea. Know what they did? Immediately, they broke into three companies of 100 each. And Gideon says, when I give the sign, break the pitchers and blow the shafar. What happened? The enemy were so confused, the Amalekites and the Midianites began to attack one another while there's a worship set going on on the mountaintop. <laughs> How cool is that? Guys, you see what I'm seeing? Yeah. You know? And they're fighting and they're killing one another. But that's not the end of the story. Guess what? This is, I, I, this is almost my favorite part. The love of God is so overwhelming that he says, hey, grab the 9,700 and let's go chase them together. Those that were in the tent were called into battle. They're not forgotten. They're not less than. They have a role to play as we proceed to take the enemy out. Then what happens is then the call goes out to the other tribes and they all join as they chase and totally obliterate the Malachites and the Midianites. So even those who say, I'm done, I can't do the church thing, I, I'm, just, I, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. There's still a place for them. Now, they won't have the testimony of breaking the clay pot and blowing the trumpet. So here's the choice tonight. And here's our question that we're landing. Are you part of the 32,000? Are you part of the 22,000 who are going to take the legal way out? Are you going to be part of the 9,700, the 10,000? Or are you going to be part of the 300? I believe this with all my heart. COVID, although it's been horrible, we've had friends die. You've had friends die. I'm not making light of it. It is truly terrible. It's horrific. One family in our church, they've lost four family members to COVID. We're either going to be controlled by this fear or we're going to believe God is still in control. I would say if you're here tonight, you're not the 22,000 because you're here. You're here tonight. And I want to applaud you. 
And I want to honor you tonight for coming to church. I really mean that. I'm just not trying to get on your good side. I really mean it. Listen to me. Watching online is only ministry. It is not the church. Watching online is only one way. It's information and ministry going downstream. Church is two-way. Church, ecclesia, means the gathering. If you are not gathering, you are not church. You have gathered here tonight as the church. And I applaud you for doing so. It's going to be smaller than it's been. That's okay. Because it only took 300 to take out probably the biggest force in the earth at that time. The enemy is in the valley and he seems overwhelming to us. Grab your sword, grab your shield, and let's be counted on to be the 300. I believe this is what God is doing in this season. I did not say God gave us COVID. I'm saying God is using this season of COVID to get his bride in the place that she needs to be. Strength and honor, power, anointed. So I want you to close your eyes and I want to ask this question. Again, I'm going to assume we're not part of the 22,000, but the question is, Am I part of the 9,700 that I'm always talking and worrying and fretting and dealing with the fears of life and the concerns of life and I've got all this other stuff. And it's important. I'm not saying it's not. But it's more important than being vigilant and ready. I believe you have a choice tonight. You can say, Lord, I want to be in the part of the 300. I want to be on that mountaintop with the torch in my hand and a trumpet of worship blowing and watch your victory right there. I don't want to hear about the victory. I want to be part of it. And so I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit tonight to just speak to your heart. I come with no condemnation. If there's any condemnation that has come, then I ask the Spirit of God would just take that away, release it, just take it off. We're all His kids and we all have a part. We all get to be a part of this victory, no matter where we land. But I believe there is a call of the Spirit of God for the 300. Those are the, those that says, I don't care. God, whatever you want to do, I'm in. I'm, I'm just in. Might not look like church used to look, sound like, doesn't matter, God. I just want to be part. Give me a part. Give me a, give me a, give me a clay pitcher. Give me, give me a candle. Give me a shofar. Give me a trumpet to blow. I just, I want to be a part.
So God, I just pray that you would find hearts set ablaze tonight to be part of the 300 of this season of our time now. The story of Gideon is in Judges thousands of years ago that took place. But God, we're here and now. But let your word speak life to us now and situation to us now. God, it's, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God, nothing's changed here. We're in the same type of situation. So God, give us hearts that would be set ablaze that says, God, I want to be in that 300. Equip us, Lord. Strengthen us. Empower us. Anoint us. I pray for a courageous church. I pray for this body. I pray for the pastors. I pray for those who are becoming leaders in this, this, this amazing work that you have here in this area, God. Lord God, I pray that you would so strengthen them that, Lord, they're no longer consumed with their needs and their needs being met, but, Lord, they're so consumed with being a part of what you're doing that they're all in 100% of the time. Even if they don't know the plan, they're still all in. So I ask you to do this work in our spirits, in our lives, deep in our souls. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.